Hello, I'm Marcus Railton, and this is the Scots Care Podcast. Scots Care is the only charity dedicated to helping disadvantaged Scots in London through a range of support, including mental health therapy, financial grants, advocacy, sheltered housing for older Scots, job coaching, social events, befriending, and support for children and families. The charity's been running for 400 years to help break the cycle of poverty experienced by some Scots. In this series of the Scots Care podcast, I'll be chatting to celebrities and supporters of the charity that have also forged a life in the capital away from home and about the ups and downs that can bring. On the podcast this week is Fiona McKinnon, a mental wellness expert who develops products and exercises that reduce stress and reinforce the benefits of mindfulness. Mental health has never been more important than it is now in our 24-7, ridiculously fast-paced world, and I'm delighted to be chatting with her today. Scots Care. Working to make London life better for Scots and their children. Hi, Fiona. Hello, Marcus. Lovely to meet you. You too. Can I start with a quote from yourself, which I really liked. It kind of really resonated with me. We've never been more educated, stimulated, and exhausted. And I completely agree. Is the world becoming more stressful? It certainly feels that way, doesn't it? I, I you know, that is basically the start of our, our mission and, and why moments actually exist is, is that exact line that you just quoted. And it's, it's the truth. Um, if you think about it, technology is a wonderful thing but it's also meant that we are able to be constantly on call. There's something literally in our hands that is demanding our attention be taken away from what we're doing at that very moment and transported somewhere else. So in short, yes, I believe that 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 is true, that we've never been more connected, which is a wonderful thing, but also distracted and exhausted. I'm not that old. I, I turned 50 this year. So but I do remember I used to go to work and, you know, this is when we had email and stuff. But once I left work, I would leave the email and I didn't have a mobile phone and we would leave that behind and people would not contact me to the next the next day. But over the last 10 or 15 years, I don't remember the last time I actually switched off and I don't remember uh, you know what I do first in the morning is it that I get up and have a wee or is it that I check my mobile phone <laughs> and I bet the answer to that question is in your phone which I'm sure it is for for someone else so I, I'm a similar age to you Marcus I remember going to work in fact I went to university without a mobile phone and studied and I went to this thing called the library and read books which I'm sure is a, a foreign concept to many now as well but I can actually remember the smartphone and, and that moment of feeling the change of not just having a phone and, and, and being able to answer email, but to your point, having something that, that opened up everything to you in terms of communication in the palm of your hand. And interestingly, when I felt it and when I noticed it, it was not through work, uh, but it was in the relationship that I was in. And I realized that I'd lost the other person because now you have a reason to be distracted even when you're sitting on the sofa with someone next to you you're not fully present and it's not just about how we use technology in our workplace but it's also how much it's distracted us from our life and living as well I think we're all so guilty of that my I I am guilty of it my wife is even more 
guilty <laughs> of it. We, if we watch Netflix at night, I must spend 40% of the time rewinding because she's missed something because she's mm-hmm. on her phone. And I, I think it's just the way we live. And I tried to sit down with my 13-year-old boy to watch a football match. It was last year. And I hope it wasn't Scotland. That probably deserves to be that <laughs> with something else in hand. <laughs> well, he he's he thinks of himself as English, so let's not. I just can't. That's you know that's okay. another thing completely. <laughs> but we sat down, and within twenty minutes, his phone was out, and he was on the phone, and he was completely and utterly distracted. I do worry that my kids have no focus anymore because of this. That's always been pulled away from them to do something else and something short as well. Well, here, here's the news flash, everybody. Um, multitasking is not a thing. It's not possible for us to be fully engaged in more than one thing in a moment. And um, research shows that even having your phone next to you, never mind picking it up, um, distracts you for 23 minutes from what you were doing previously on average. So if you're just constantly picking up the phone, it means you're never fully present in your the task at hand. And that is what mindfulness um, and what we do is, is really all about mindfulness is simply about being 100% focused in the task at hand without judgment and without distraction. This isn't a new thing, though, is it, Fiona? Because when we look, I went to Glasgow University as well, um, mm-hmm. and I, I did philosophy, you know, which was hugely useful uh, going forward. <laughs> you know, opened up a world of jobs to me. But I remember reading Plato at university, and he was talking about the theory of the forms. He was talking about just one thing. That's what man needs, as in humans, mm-hmm. not just man. Yeah. Man needs one thing to concentrate, and they will be happy. And I saw we've obviously been talking about this for thousands of years. That's the thing. Everything that that we do and I have personally felt has helped me is centuries old, thousands of years old. It's it's proven, it's scientific because it's how our minds and bodies actually work. We've not reinvented some way. You know, we um, we have a nervous system uh, and it is triggered by different different things and it's soothed by different techniques. And one of our most powerful things that we own is our breath. And just being able to take conscious breaths calms our nervous system, it stimulates our vagus nerve, it supports our digestion, it supports our brain function. And by learning to do these simple things, which were already pre-programmed and wired to do, but we've just forgotten how to do them or we've become too distracted and really understanding how our bodies feel, and um, then that's where we can get into, you know, what is dis-ease, i.e. We're not, we're not making it easy for ourselves. And that's where we can create physical as well as mental problems within, within our own systems and our own bodies. Now, you spent a lot of years at the sharp end of business. You were looking at other people's businesses, working for your own business, working for big corporates. What, so what was the crunch point for you where you said, I'm not going to do this anymore? So I'd say there's a number of different things and and they slowly built up over time so for me uh, I was in the online advertising and media world for over 20 years Um, it was called new media back in the day when I joined it because internet advertising was a was a newfangled thing Um, and I primarily worked for startups so there was a mentality of you know you roll your sleeves up and you get on with whatever you need to do to make the business succeed. I was very fortunate to have global roles. So my time was spent on airplanes more than anything else. Um, and it got to the point where I just was just always on 
basically just as we were we were saying there and I didn't have the wherewithal to understand how that was physically and mentally impacting me I didn't know the warning signs um you know burnout was not something that you talked about it was something that was seen to be avoided at all costs so you covered it up and you worked extra hours and there's also a little bit um, not the subject for today, but there was a bit of, you know, that kind of only female at the table needing to be seen to be strong and just getting on with things. And after I would say probably four or five years of pushing myself to the limits, I had a physical and mental um, breakdown. Um, were you a worrier while this was going on or have you, I mean, I, I've worried from like, since I was a little child, I, if I've got nothing to worry about, I worry about the fact I've got nothing to worry about. <laughs> so were you worrying and coping or were you coping and then you went off a cliff? No, my default setting was, um, was fear, was worrying, was needing to be perfect, was... Um, doing anything I could to be accepted um, but within that I was compromising my own personal boundaries and my own personal happiness and I just didn't know how to say to express any of that so I would say fear which then manifested itself in being angry about things I had a great sense of injustice about the world and unfairness um, which um, created a lot of anxiety and stress um, mm. within my system. Do you think anger gets stored up in your body? Do you think it's one of these things that kind of gets pushed down further and further until it just comes out? Anger oh, or and or grief? Absolutely. Um, and interestingly, grief and anger find themselves in the body in very similar places, which is in your, in your lungs, uh, in your chest. Um, and when you start to tune into how your body's feeling, your body can really tell you <laughs> which emotion it is that you are, you are feeling at that time. And, and one of the concerns, just going back quickly, Marcus, to um, technology, one of the concerns I really have about the increase in technology-driven well-being apps and wearable technology is that we're looking at our watches and our phones to understand how we're feeling. And we're not really using our own guidance system, which is our body, to go, hang on a minute, what is this that I'm feeling? And is what and, and more importantly, why? Why am I feeling angry? Why am I feeling anxious? Why am I, you know, and, and that excitement and anxiety are very closely linked and connected emotions and how we feel them in our bodies. So having a piece of technology tell you that you're having an emotional reaction is is not as helpful as us being able to feel it for ourselves and question okay hang on a minute why am I feeling this way and that's my real worry that we become over reliant on technology to say hey V you've had a bad night's sleep and then I immediately start my day going oh god I've had a bad night's sleep what does that mean for the rest of my day rather than me saying oh, I'm a bit tired today what can I do to help protect myself do I need to do a little bit less shall I go for a walk uh, shall I do a bit of meditation? What might be helpful? Maybe I'll just have a cup of coffee, you know, but I think that over-reliance on technology and understanding our emotional reaction is is a, a worrying trend, I see. Yeah, we're absolutely obsessed by data. Everyone's obsessed by data all the time, recording their existence and recording data, even to the point where, you know, I go out cycling quite a lot and a lot of the guys I cycle with who are the same age as me, they have these computers on the bike that record how many miles they do and how many calories they do and how many watts they burn. And 
they're 50 year old blokes they're never going to ride the tour de france i do not know why they need why don't they just look around and stop looking down at these tiny computers full of useless data scott's care supporting scots away from home in london the World Health Organization states that one in four of us will have mental health issues in a lifetime. 25%, that's an unacceptable statistic, surely. Yes, it is. And actually, I'm, I'm, I hate to say it, but I'm surprised it's not higher um, because it, it depends what you, you mean by mental health. Obviously, there's that more um, serious mental health issues, um, but there's also the life-changing issues that are caused by daily stress and anxiety and not being able to manage that, which then can manifest, get my words like manifest itself into being those more serious conditions. Um, so actually I'm surprised it's not higher because it's thought that three quarters of us suffer from workplace stress and anxiety every year. So that's, that's interesting, isn't it? So in your, when you work for your company and you, you go into corporates and you address these issues, do you, First of all, I wanted to ask you, do you see like an age split or do you see a gender split? Are females more stressed than males? Are young people with all this economic uncertainty that's going on at the moment, are they more terrified of the world going forward than older people who may have a mortgage and are more settled? So first, I would say that it, that it's important and we don't see it as a competition. <laughs> One person's more stressed than another. Everybody's journey and, and, and emotions are are valid in, in their own right. So I don't think it's the case of saying that there's, you know, there's one more than another. What I would say is that women are more likely to talk about their emotional um, well-being. Mm. Um, they're more likely to talk amongst friends. They're more likely to be open and vulnerable than men. Um, so the male statistic may well be hiding more men that are actually feeling these emotions, they're just less likely to express them or to um, recognize that that is what they're going through. And when you look at the statistics around the, the you know, biggest cause of death in, in men, particularly around the ages of 40 and 50, it's suicide. And there's no denying that it's a huge, huge issue in, in society today and, and it's only getting worse. I would also say in something very close to my heart is that there's also a real issue around addiction and alcoholism in that older age bracket, again, around the sort of 40 and 50 year olds where that inability to self-regulate that emotion from a, a mindset perspective, then, you know, is, is hidden by addictions. Um, yeah, I, th so I think drinking too much booze is very easy to justify i think mm -hmm. I, I do on occasion i say oh do you know what I've, I've had a tough work day or i've you know the kids are killing me and i will just go to the fridge and reach for a beer and you know i also think i'm predisposed to it being you know my family and being scottish but you know booze is a real problem isn't it it, it really is and um i'm three years sober um which i'm that and, and practicing meditation and the two things are very linked have literally changed my life and have changed my outlook and I'm very passionate about supporting people who are sober curious you know it's not about stopping if if you don't have a problem that's not at all what what I'm saying it's just about understanding why you might be drinking is it covering something up is it covering up anxiety stress 
um, and an inability, you know, unhappiness at work and relationships, there tends to be a trigger and a reason behind those behaviors. And, you know, addiction can be in other things as well. It's not just about booze. It can be in exercise. It can be, you know, in gaming. If you're looking at kids, there can be other things that, that cause that addictive behavior, but it's usually because of um, a mindset shift or something that, you know, you're looking um, to occupy your mind. When you gave up booze, was it a case of you felt you were drinking too much or did you think, do you know what I need just to get healthy or what, what was the kind of uh, the catalyst for it? Through meditation, through becoming more mindful, through understanding my body and my mind better through those practices, I realized that a big reason, if I go back to the aforementioned stress at, um, and burnout at work, I realized that the online advertising industry, the advertising industry, you know, mad men, the booze yeah. culture, the 24 seven, the, the drinking and the drinking to excess was a big part of my breakdown and my fear and anxiety and ability to kind of feel in control was being controlled by, by drinking to excess. And, you know, from the outside, people wouldn't have thought I was an alcoholic, but I started to piece together and appreciate the connection between my binge drinking, between my ability not to control it, the desire to escape kind of reality in those moments, and also using it as a social crux was was not serving me. And I made a conscious decision that I needed to remove that anxiety from my life. And, and that started with... Um, but started with stopping basically. And do you sleep better now? Oh yes. Mm. I think alcohol does that. I know even one or two beers, it really kills my, I mean, I don't sleep very well, but you know, one or two beers and it just, you know, I'm, I'm awake on off and on the whole night. It's not, it's not good. That was a decision I used to have to make. Will I have a drink or will I sleep? I mean, how crazy is that? <laughs> and I've, that, I've, that is, you still drink coffee? Oh yes. That's my one vice. I need, I need my coffee in the morning. I love it. <laughs> Yeah, I try, I try these days to get up and not go straight to the coffee machine. I, you know, I do try to have a glass of water or just move around yeah. a bit, you know, in, in order to just kind of hydrate my body a little bit before I get on the coffee. And I, I have tried to just limit it because I was up at four or five cups a day and then feeling jittery and not sleeping, you know, so. Um, can I come back to um, the question that you asked about age? Because um, I do think it's really important to recognise our teenagers and our younger um, generation as well and how much COVID has impacted them and that lockdown and and also to recognize that their lives are different to when we grew up and technology and connection and social media and comparison and also the openness about talking about mental health are very different from growing up in the 70s and 80s um, and I do think that there is additional pressures and anxieties and a real lack of one-to-one -one connection that that generation are missing that is creating uh, a real swell of mental health issues right now. I mean I have rose-tinted glasses but do you think it's a simplicity that they're missing? I mean I'd love to say that you know I'd love to see everybody just put down their phones and go out and connect and <laughs> and run around outside and you know kick a ball against a wall and 
show up when they said they were going to show up and <laughs> meet people casually and have those incidental conversations. But I, I, I don't think we can go back to that. And as I say, technology is not always a bad thing. There's some amazing things that that has enabled us to do and the way that we communicate with each other. So it's not about throwing that out. It's, it's really a, about learning how to add value from that technology and not for it to be the way that we live our lives. So I guess, and yes, I'm, I'm agreeing with you. Simplicity is at the heart of it, um, but I, I'm, I don't have the answer to how we get back to that. And it's not a case of going back. We can't. Times are very different. It's about finding a new way for young people to be able to find that human emotional connection, because at the end of the day, that's the most important thing. And mm. that is what I feel we've lost. Scott's Care. And when you go into the workplace, do you find that work uh, employers are more open to taking breaks and being mindful and protecting the mental health of the, the workers? Do you, is there anywhere you, where you've walked into and thought this culture is still toxic or is there much more a culture of embracing it? I would say that there is an increase in awareness for companies to look after the whole person that walks through the door and not just the person that does the role um, while they're sitting in the office because let's face it we are the same person and it's not like we switch our minds off from what's going on at home when we walk through an office door and and vice versa when we leave so there's definitely an increased responsibility that companies are recognizing that they support the person and their whole life um, when they walk into the office because let's face it happier healthier more mindful employees make for more productivity better decisions and therefore better business so it's definitely in a company's interest to look after the whole person that walks in the door however I believe that there is still a great deal of lip service and not reality um, and practice that is happening. So companies will say, yes, we have an app that allows our employees to, to do a meditation in the morning, yet they aren't changing the way that they do performance reviews. Their interview process is very stressful. It's not welcoming. There's no onboarding. There's no ongoing support when someone might have gone through grief for example loss of a loved one so there's a lot to do still in terms of actually impacting cultural change within organizations but the signs are good that we're starting to have those conversations it is anything anything is a good step forward but i do understand what you mean when you talk about lip service you know i used to work for a company and they had this they they initiated this thing called 10 percent time and it was 10% of your working week, you had to get out of the business and go to an art gallery or, or go, to, go to something else or go to the cinema and come back with that knowledge because they believed that what you went away and did would be great for the company. And I remember I did it once. And as soon as I got back into the office, my boss went, where have you been? What? <laughs> so it was, it was very much lip service, you know? Uh, it's so true. And I, I worked for a company that um, actually hired Brene Brown, who I absolutely love, to come and do a talk. Anyone that's listening that hasn't listened to her TED talk, look it up on Netflix. She talks about vulnerability and shame, um, and particularly in the workplace. And so she was helping us through um, a merger. And 
Um, she talked about being open and she talks about, you know, how to show up and be vulnerable. And yet the, the motto um, or the company culture of which there were posters all over the organization was more fun, less fear. Okay. And that, that's what they genuinely believed was a positive message for the culture of the organization. And I just thought, what does more fun mean? And why is there any fear? And what does less of it mean? And so actually, when I saw that every day, it just made me think, this is a fear-based culture. It had the opposite effect. Yeah, it's horrible. That's like, that's like the phrase compulsory fun. You will have fun today. Yes, yeah. exactly. Forced fun. Looking at the other side of it, I've worked in big, big companies. And, and then I go into like my son's school. And sometimes I just think maybe there's too much tolerance that people are indulged, that we live in a society that's maybe too woke or that everybody needs a label do you think there's there's a case for saying no you there is nothing wrong here you just need to knuckle down a little bit when I think about that um what comes to mind is the word selfish and to some people that can be really triggering they see it as a bad thing and they think oh my gosh I don't want to be labored labeled selfish however if we just think about it for a moment and it's about putting the self first if we don't put our own oxygen masks on, we can't really serve others. So if being self-indulgent is me taking a little bit of time in my day to just look after myself so that I show up and I'm kinder to the people around me, I'm better able to be more considered about how I go about my day, um, then I think that's a great thing. And um, I think that labeling people selfish for thinking that or seeing that as self-indulgent is is a big barrier to why perhaps men in particular don't want to talk about feeling that they need help and support so I encourage you know put your own oxygen mask on first um, and that isn't being self-indulgent that's actually being a better person and showing up more for the people around you something that you said that I read was that you keep a diary can you explain to me how that works how that helps your your mental state or your mindfulness yeah so so being Scottish and living in America I've been told that I needed to journal and um, I just thought well what a lot of rubbish that is I'm not going to journal I'm not a 13 year old girl with a pink diary how on earth can that help me um but it all started about 10 years ago and I used to find that uh, when I was traveling and particularly when I was flying I would just have these moments where you know I wasn't contact nobody could contact me and I just had a little bit of peace and quiet and I just started to write about whatever came into my head and um, so there wasn't really any structure to it but I would just found it really helpful and it's it's almost cathartic so if you think about praying or if you have any kind of faith-based practice that you have that kind of cathartic moment of being able to say things out loud you almost then start to unlock something in your mind where you start to problem solve or it feels a bit of a relief that you've got things out and I find being able to write was a real way to release that and then just recently um so during lockdown um I cared for my father who was terminally ill and I found that writing every day at the end of the day no matter what time of the day or night that was when I eventually got to bed if I reframed my day from a place of gratitude it completely 
rewired my brain to see things from a different perspective as my head hit the pillow. So that's the practice that I have kept going now for, I guess it must be around three years where every day I just write down, I am grateful for, and I just sort of scan my day in my mind and I pick out things from having a cup of coffee, speaking to Marcus, sun was shining, you know, just whatever comes to mind, but there's always something you can find in your day to be grateful for, even and especially when circumstances around you might be challenging. Um, and it means that I'm now able to reflect back on that time looking after my dad before he passed from a place of gratitude. And it's just completely changed my outlook. It means that when I end my day, I'm basically seeing it from a good place. I did want to ask you that. I, I, I was wondering, did it help you um, process your grief? My, my dad passed away at the, the start of COVID and uh, didn't get to see him, didn't get to have a funeral. And I still have days that are massively overwhelming because there was no kind of process done there. There was no such closure. And I just wonder if, if you writing and being with your dad helped you to kind of process that grief as you moved on. I, th- I feel it, it, it really, really did. And I'm, I'm sorry for your loss too. And it, it was even harder in 2020, you know, because dad had such a small funeral as well. We weren't able to get together as a family and, and there's just additional challenges there that everyone experienced through that period. But I do feel that that writing it down really has helped me. Um, and also sharing with people that, that time, that grief and being open about it has really helped me as well and find a community of people that have that shared experience. Um, and, you know, there's different things that work for different people, but in short, yes, it, it, it was the thing that I believed um, really helped me just find that peace, you know, being able to say, I'm so grateful for the time we have with dad. I'm so grateful to be there with them. And, and, and it really does help rewire your brain to a more positive positive place because we're pre we're predisposed I can't speak today you know what I'm trying to say yeah predisposed (laughs) thank you very much um to think negatively 80% of our daily thoughts are negative so if I can just rewire a few of those every day from a more positive perspective I'm helping build my brain every day now on social media you do a lot of breathing exercises that you put up there and and I follow them and they genuinely work with me now uh we're almost out of time, but I just wondered, is there something you could do for us now? Just give us one minute, 90 seconds of peace to help us at the end of this interview. Yeah, absolutely. Um, as I said up front, the, the biggest powerful superpower we have is, is our breath because it helps calm our nervous system and just gives us that window to, to think and to move forward. And all we have to do is learn to breathe into our bellies um, and out. So we're directing our breath in and out of our diaphragm. It immediately gives us more oxygen. It opens our chest and it really kind of creates a sense of calm. And the other thing is that we don't have to take big, huge, deep gulps of breath. We can do this really softly and quietly. And actually that can create a more powerful inward thinking moment. So let's just do this now. We'll just breathe in for the count of five, out for the count of five, just for three rounds of breath. Um, and I'll just guide you through that and I find if you close your eyes it again just sends a little message to your body that it's time just to to take a moment so if you're ready close your eyes 
And let's just breathe out fully, letting our belly drop back down. And then as we breathe in, two, three, push your belly out. And exhale, two, three, four, five. Inhale, pushing your belly out as that breath moves down through your lungs. And exhale, let it all go, dropping your shoulders and your belly falling down. Breathe in, softly, quietly. And breathe out. And keeping your eyes closed, just let your breath return back to normal. And quietly and softly open your eyes and just appreciate that short moment of calm you can create in your body and your mind. Fiona, thank you for that. Thank you. Will you come back again? Because I've got about 200 more questions for you. <laughs> I would absolutely love to, because I've got about 200 other things that I could talk about too. <laughs> Fiona McKinnon, thanks for being on the Scots Care podcast today. Thank you very much. Have a great day. Scots Care, for Scots in London in need of support, financial, practical or emotional.